Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Max Minute, where we're not very concerned with ensuring safe auto repair workspace conditions in Mad Max to the Road Warrior, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 49, which begins with one of Wes's raiders moving to cut off Max's advance, and it ends with Max passing another raider camp on his way to the compound. So the bad cop that is running to join the pursuit, we get to see him actually get into his car and turn it on and fire that thing up today. We got cut off at the last moment in yesterday's minute. So here we actually get the conclusion of his rushing. And we actually stick with him a bit longer than I originally would have supposed. Like we're with him almost all the way up to him intercepting the truck. Yeah, I would kind of expect watching him get in the car and join the chase as a mechanism to join the chase ourselves and to see what's going on. But for a little while, he is the chase. Yeah. I mean, we do get to see more of the surrounding bits. There's like another buggy that comes up alongside. But for the most part, this bad cop is who we're sticking with. And I can see why, because he's definitely in the best position to intercept Max quickly because as you're watching that window behind him you can see the mac truck come in and then you're just getting closer and closer Mm -hmm. and closer and you can tell that he's headed right for max yeah i'm curious what his plan was when he reached max was his plan to run into him Oh, absolutely. I just don't see that doing much good. Of course, he would have hurt himself a great deal, but perhaps that matters less. But would he really have stopped the rig? I think the plan in his head was to make contact by just going in at a really sharp angle right at that front tire. Because if he can bend that rim or if he can mess up that tire and make it so that the truck can no longer steer itself, maybe he'll be able to get it off the road that it's driving on. Maybe he'll be able to get the Mac hung up on a rock or something like that. It wouldn't necessarily leave his car unscathed and there would definitely be a lot of danger to him, but he would be doing a lot of damage to that truck. And if they can stop that truck from getting into the compound, then they've succeeded. It occurs to me that his mentality of sacrificing himself because i think there's a good chance that he would have died in the crash that he intended the bad cop Mm. or at least be seriously hurt i i'm not so sure no no okay never mind then i think we just have a different way of evaluating the danger of cars crashing into each other well it's not cars crashing into each other it is a car crashing into a rig well that thing is big it's it's gonna demolish that car it's not just any car though it is a chrysler valiant charger it is a 1970s australian muscle car okay i give you that i still think that that it wouldn't have ended well for him no i still think it would not have ended well for him yeah i am pretty sure that the members of lord humongous's horde probably operate under a mentality of they're invincible and whatever they do 
they'll walk away from because they're just that reckless. So that kind of goes back to my original point that this is kind of the beginnings of that attitude that we see in Fury Road with the war boys, where they go out driving these cars, knowing and planning on dying. Mm -hmm. And they do it for the glory of Valhalla. Yeah. Shiny and chrome. And they, they glory in that. Yeah. And so I kind of see this as the start of that attitude. Okay. I see where you're coming from. The idea that it's kind of the seed. Yeah. That will someday sprout. It's definitely a lesser extent in this movie because it's, I would say, more bravado fueled. The idea that this bad cop probably sees himself as the biggest and the baddest of the bad cops and he's going to do this awesome maneuver, win the day, and then Lord Humongous is going to be like, oh, way to go you get to have a position or something like that. Right, he'll get the credit for it. Yeah. Plus, these guys revel in violence and destruction. They love doing it. And so the opportunity of taking your muscle car and putting it up against a giant rig, and I wouldn't even call it a giant rig, just a large truck, and being able to point at and say, I took that out. I think it's definitely not gotten to the Fury Road level of fanatical devotion through activity and whatnot. Certainly not. You know, the War Boys, though, probably take the idea that's on display here and bring it to its logical extreme. Yeah, I think so. Which I think Road Warrior and Fury Road have that relationship a lot. Mm -hmm. Fury Road takes what was started here to its logical extreme. (laughs) It's like Fury Road is the Spinal Tap amp where everything is just dialed up to 11. They just got that little extra on there. Exactly. So the bad cop is pretty much on a collision course with Max. Now, Max is up there in the cab and he's trying to focus on driving and focus on all the people around him. And we see him look to his left. And in this shot specifically, I think is a great example of how they simulated motion in this movie. You can see that he's kind of jostling around and the camera's moving, but the only thing you can see behind him is just blue sky. And they make this abundantly clear in the Road War documentary that if you cannot see the ground, then they're not moving. That they are breaking the cardinal rule of keeping the camera steady and they are just simulating movement. So every time you see Max just sitting there behind the wheel, he's just sitting on the side of the road. I love that specifically because they go to such lengths to do great cinematography with the chase scenes Mm -hmm. and innovating and being creative. And when they can, they just go super basic. Yeah, it's one of those things where high-speed maneuvers can be very dangerous, and you don't necessarily want to put your actors at risk, especially in scenes like the end of the movie with the final rig chase and situations like this here where the truck is dodging and weaving through dense areas and things are getting thrown at it. We're going to see that tomorrow. It's something where if you can minimize risk, you try and minimize the risk. Yeah. And speaking of risk, you've got this situation with the bad cop coming up and he, like I said, is on a collision course. But when Max looks left, one of the things that really stands out, at least to me, is that the bad cop has a big old bright light on top of his car. I know the bad cops love their their lights and their sirens and everything like that. But Mm -hmm. if this guy is coming up on Max's left side to sideswipe him and is hoping at all 
to make advantage of a blind spot, he's kind of shooting himself in the foot with that bright flashing light because Max is able to see it bright as day. Yeah, it's it's an attention grabber. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Max doesn't have the same built-in reaction that I have when I see flashing lights. Like, my very first thought is I'm getting pulled over and I have that, that moment of, like, minor little panic that I'm going to get pulled over. That's my natural reaction to seeing flashing lights. Mm-hmm. I think that's for, true for a lot of people. I forgot where I was going. Yeah, I was kind of wondering where you were going with that. <laughs> I forgot, so never mind. All right. We can just move on. <laughs> As Max looks to his left, he's able to see that flashing light, and he's able to recognize, okay, this guy probably intends to sideswipe me. Now, we are assuming that all of the bad cops were at one time police officers. That kind of follows the logic of their name and their motif. Well, Max was also a police officer, so if he is able to recognize a maneuver that this bad cop is planning on using, he probably knows the best way to counter it. So what he does is he turns the wheel of the truck and he alters the angle that the Valiant is going to collide with the Mac. So instead of them coming in at like a very steep 40, 45, 50 degree angle, he's made it so that the car, instead of colliding, is kind of rubbing up alongside of the Mac, and we can see that very clearly that Valiant comes in, rubs on the Mac, and then deflects off in another direction. And I kind of saw that like when you take a Frisbee and you throw it at the ground, sometimes if the angle is right, that Frisbee will just bounce off the ground and go back up into the air. And so Max was able to pretty much do that, catch the car against the Mac, and then we don't necessarily see if he turned his wheel back to try and push the car off or if it was just a bounce, but whatever Max did, that Valiant is now careening off in a different direction than he originally planned. And he careens right into camp. Yep. (laughs) I love the havoc that he causes. Oh yeah, people are running and shouting and he is trying to get a handle on the situation, but he must be on some loose dust or something because he slides to the side and collides with, oh no, it's Chekhov's scrap truck that we saw (laughs) yesterday. He narrowly avoids running like two or three people down and he collides with the engine that's hanging from the scrap wagon. Then he knocks into the back of the scrap wagon proper. And the next thing we see is that wagon falling off of its lifts and just crushing poor Chekhov. Yes. Uh, two things. I could have sworn that I heard, and you disagree with me, but perhaps our listeners can help settle it. I could have sworn I heard a snippet of Wilhelm scream. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I heard anything Wilhelm specific. I mean, I definitely agree there was a scream. Yeah. It didn't sound Wilhelm-esque to me. It did to me, and I, I did check it out online. And couldn't find anybody who says that they use the Wilhelm scream in Road Warrior. The second little oddity is something that made me smile. When the car comes down, crushes the legs, which are obviously just stuffed pants. Yeah. It's fantastic. There is a puff of sand that comes up. <laughs> and I I don't know why. I just love it. It just, I guess it looks authentic. Mm-hmm. It's a nice detail that yeah. I'm not sure they planned for, but it happened just maybe naturally. I yeah. am pretty sure that this is not a reference that I'm going to bring up, but I would like to think that they included this little scene as part of this chase as kind of an homage to The Wizard of Oz, the very beginning of the movie where Dorothy gets to Oz and she sees the legs of the Wicked Witch and they're very obviously just 
stop the legs. I can't believe I didn't notice that. Yeah. Because I'm a, I'm a particular fan of the Wizard of Oz. Like, I got the same vibe. Yeah, and now that you say that, I'm like, oh, of course. You know, and it makes me wonder if there's another raider in that camp who's going to come along and be like, oh, no, my brother's shoes. And then some other raider's going to, like, steal them from him. And then there's going to be some sort of feud and there's going to be, like, water being thrown about. I don't know. Well, I can absolutely see that happening. <laughs> now that uh, this raider is dead, people are going to take his stuff. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Including his shoes. Waste not, want not. Absolutely. So somebody's going to get his shoes, and somebody's going to want his shoes that didn't get his shoes, and there could very well be an argument over those shoes. Mm -hmm. There was a bit of a background detail that I noticed when I was watching this that is very quick. It's not super obvious, but it's there, and I saw it, and I was wondering about it. In the background, if you're looking at this shot where the truck actually falls off of the supports, there is a raider off on the left side of the screen in the background, and he does one of those pratfall, throw himself to the ground type of things, and it's very quick. It's only like seven or eight frames, but... I could swear that there's a guideline or a wire or something that is kind of pulled up suddenly, and I feel like he's diving out of the way so he doesn't get clotheslined by this wire, or he's being knocked over by this wire. Mm. It's very subtle. If you're watching it on a phone or on a low-resolution setting, you're probably not going to see it very easily, but it just struck me as... Oh, hey, that's a bit of a detail. That's odd to see. Yeah. So you think that Marauder wasn't supposed to fall over? I think him falling over in that specific way might have been more of a production error uh, than actual acting. Okay. That might be a forced prat fall instead right. of one that was planned. It could be that they used that take anyways because they got that nice puff of sand. Could be. Could be. High above all of this action, we get our first good look of the gyro captain surveying the action. And it's a very low angle. We're looking up at him. We can see the rotors spinning and everything. And to get these type of shots, because they had, like we discussed before in, on this podcast, two gyrocopters, one that actually flew on its own, and another one that they used for shots like this. This specific one that he's sitting on was mounted on just a steel bar, like on the end of a crane or something like that, and they would just lift up Bruce Spence, like eight, ten feet off the ground, and they'd get underneath him with the camera and shoot all of these low angles. What stands out to me about this is how quickly the top rotor is spinning, and it kind of makes me wonder if they changed up this gyrocopter actually give the back to actually give the top rotor some independent spin. Well, the copter that they mounted would have to give power to those rotors. Yeah. Because its movement through the air is what powers the rotors, the so it, top rotor. So, yeah, it, if it's mounted to a crane and the top rotors are still spinning, it has to be powered. Yeah. The only other thing I can think of is that they've got a big production fan underneath to blow his clothes around and make it look like it's the air is moving, and I'm wondering if the production fan had enough air to make that top rotor spin that quickly. It's hard to say, because I, I don't know exactly what kind of fans they use to make it look like everything was moving. I don't know how freely those top rotors spin when there's just an electric fan underneath them, but I also feel like it would have been really easy to just even take a power drill and just make a little shaft system 
so that someone is sitting off to the side and they've just got the power drill turned on and it's spinning that top rotor. I'm very curious as to exactly how they did that. Yeah, I think it would be cheaper to send some power to those rotors than to have a fan underneath big enough to get those rotors going. Yeah, because you got to think they had a fan on Bruce Spence to make it look like he's actually flying around. But if that's turned up too high, then, you know, he's going to get blown apart or, you know, his hat's going to start flying off and his coat's going to open up, that type of thing. Although the principles by which the gyrocopter work, the same wind speed that Bruce Spence would be able to handle would also get the rotors to move because in a real life situation, it's the same wind. Yeah, I think I might just be underestimating how easily those rotors can get spinning quickly. I'm sitting here thinking, oh, there's no way they can spin that fast with just a simple stage fan. I think you are as well. I don't think they could go with just a simple stage fan, but I don't think they need much more than that. Gyrocopters specialize in low speed, low flying. Yeah. So I don't think that it would take that much to get the thing going and in real life, Get it up off the ground. Speaking of things on the Hmm. ground. Yeah. Wes and his motorcycle driver are closing in quickly on the Mack truck, and they are right dead center in the dust cloud that Max is kicking up, which great for them if they want to be stealthy, but not so great for them if they don't want to have copious amounts of dust in their eye. You know what I mean? Yeah. The uh, motorcycle driver is wearing goggles. I believe so. Wes is not. Wes is not. Yeah. Are they going for stealth? I think they're just going to get close to the tires. That's their goal because they get up behind that truck and they get about as close to those tires as they dare. And you've got Wes. He's got his arm outstretched. He's going to shoot his little crossbow into those tires. And I think being covered in dust is just a situation of the area that they're in and not necessarily a tactical choice on their part. Yeah. But whatever they're thinking is, holy cow, a lot of dust, but also they're able to get up and we get a nice shot of the tires to establish that that's what they're getting up alongside. So we see the tires, we see Wes, he reaches out, fires his crossbow into the tire and it must explode one of the inside tires because obviously the rig it's got eight tires in the back two on the inside two on the outside on Mm -hmm. either side so i think he's able to shoot past the outside tire into the inside tire because we hear it pop and there's dust and there's actually like a little flash but you know we know that that little crossbow pierced one of those tires at first i questioned if a small crossbow bolt could do that, could take out a tire like that. So I looked around on YouTube a little bit and found a video of a guy who shot a full-length arrow, a standard bow, into a truck tire, and it went through the truck tire like butter. Really? No problems at all. I was surprised. He was surprised. He was actually doing it, hoping for some sort of explosion or show or some sort of ruckus. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, that was disappointing. It just went straight through. But it went through both sides. Really? Very cleanly. I was surprised. So that was a full-size bow and arrow. This is a mini, but I think crossbows have more power than standard bows, correct? Possibly? Possibly. It depends on the construction. Yeah, it really does. It depends on the material. We don't know what this little wrist-mounted thing is made of, but... Right. But even if you take that into consideration of a mini crossbow with a mini bolt going into the tire, it still made it through one side at the very least. I think it probably... Probably still went all the way through. The video that you watched. Yeah. Did he have the tire sitting still or was it spinning? 
It was sitting still. Okay. Which, yeah, I recognize that that was not the same, and spinning tires are very different than still tires, but it was what I was able to find. The fact that you said it went through both sides should have tipped off to me that the tire was stationary at the time. Yeah. Because in order for it to go through, the rotation of the tire would screw up it coming out the other side. I think it depends on the speed of the tire and the speed of the arrow. Yeah, because if the arrow is going fast enough, it should be able to at least pierce one side of the tire and then just get brought along with the rotation of the tire. I think the thing that really stands out to me that would prevent an arrow or a crossbow bolt from going into the tire would be the arrow moving slow enough that as it starts to pierce the tire, that the rotation of the tire would pull the tip down and then all of the mass of the shaft would just bounce harmlessly off the side Mm. if the arrow wasn't able to bite deep enough into the rubber to make any sort of indent uh, and not make it in then the arrow would bounce off but if he's got this tiny little bolt which you know i think we've looked at it i think it's only six to eight inches long made of yeah. light metal placed on a wrist mounted crossbow that's probably made out of steel he's yeah. probably able to get that moving pretty fast and all he needs to do is get enough of a bite into that rubber which who knows what the state of those tires are in they could be old right probably not that great how long yeah. has it been since new tires weren't being manufactured exactly and we can tell because of the explosion sound and the flapping rubber sound that we hear that that tip is able to get at least far enough into that tire to obliterate one of those tires Yes. I have another question about his choice of the tire. Now, mm -hmm. the truck as a whole has eight tires, correct? Right. That's a lot of tires. Now, I know that they need all those tires for weight distribution and whatnot, but losing one tire, going down to seven tires, is not that big a deal. Yeah. I think the front tires are definitely the more important tires, but if you want to slow the truck down, Taking out one of those tires will definitely make it easier. I have a feeling that Wes shot out one of the eight back tires because he wanted to slow the rig down enough to do the maneuver that we see him do mm. after that tire bursts. Okay. So my question is, were there other places in the truck that he could have shot that would have done a better job at stopping the rig? I'm thinking specifically of the gas tank. If he had broken open the gas tank. Oh, and then made it start leaking. Right. I don't think there was a lot of gas in there anyways. We know that Max only took five gallons of diesel. So how far would five gallons really get him? Yeah. I mean, how much fuel did he expend just trying to get the thing started? That's a good question. I don't know the uh, miles per gallon rating on one of those old Mack trucks. I know. I can't <laughs> imagine it's that great. But And on a rig like that, the gas tank is very exposed mm -hmm. it's just hanging out there on the side of the truck and if i remember correctly it's actually on the same side as wes is on yeah so might that have been a better tactical decision to attack the gas tank if i think it all depends on wes's vision of what was going to happen next yeah do they want to recover the rig so that they can use it for their own purposes which would have been very handy yeah. To have. Do they want to destroy it so that there is absolutely no way that the compound dwellers can get away? I have a feeling that these initial raider camps, they've detected Max. They want to stop him. I feel like they want to disable but not destroy the rig because they recognize a large truck like that, if they can wrestle control of it away from Max and they can take it for their own, that's the kind of thing that's big enough that can make a run on that gate and actually put a dent in it and maybe even push it 
far enough out of the way that they can get into the compound. In shooting out one of the tires, Wes is slowing everything down so that he and the other motorcycle guy can shift around to the left side of the rig. And Wes gets up on the sidecar, puts his foot on the back fender, and he jumps from the motorcycle onto the back of the truck. Yes, very ungracefully. It's, it was unnerving. It was very unnerving and it was very ungraceful because I think they did it for real. Yeah, it looks like it. You it can absolutely see looks the ground. Like it's real. Moving underneath them. Yes. And it did not look like sped up footage at all. It looked like they were doing this at speed. And so all of this extra safety precaution stuff about filming with them not moving or speeding up the footage or anything like that, I don't think they did anything for this. It was just stuntman back of the motorcycle onto the back of the truck and oh that's unnerving Mm -hmm. he kind of almost doesn't make it yeah he jumps and he's able to grab it but his leg is still kind of hanging out in the air yeah he doesn't get the momentum to carry him up onto the back like he has just enough momentum to get his like upper torso onto the truck and then he's just left hanging I would like to think that if they were doing this stunt while they weren't moving and they were just shooting a low angle, he probably would have been able to do like a full-on jump from the back fender of the motorcycle onto the wheel well of the truck, and it Mm -hmm. would have been a lot more smooth, but it wouldn't have been real. Right. Like, this is scary real. Like, oh my god, that guy could get swept under those tires and him not be replaced by a dummy last minute. Yeah. So... It's pretty crazy. And we get to see from high above the action, Wes clinging to that tire cover and eventually like get himself up onto the back of the truck. I love this because it looks so real. Like if this happened in actual real life, this is actually what it would look like. Yeah. Because (laughs) this did happen in real life and this is how it happened. Um, It's just very raw and it really fits in with the feel of this movie. Wes is going to be doing some very flashy maneuvers coming up next week, and I feel like the things that he does next week are in direct answer to this particular stunt. Like, oh, he looked kind of doofy doing this, so let's make him do something really cool (laughs) once we're not going at speed. So one thing that sticks out from this high angle is you can see the control panel and the feet of the gyro captain. Now, they did not put a camera on the flyable gyrocopter because the camera would have been too heavy. So what they did, Byron Kennedy had a helicopter that they were doing all of their helicopter shots from. And so they just took the front half of their production gyrocopter and they stuck it on the side of the helicopter so the cameraman is just wearing the shoes and looking past the panel making it look like the gyrocopter is hovering above the action but it's actually a larger helicopter holding a smaller gyrocopter holding a cameraman whose legs are dressed up like the gyro captain okay yeah And it works. Yes, it does. It works. Now, the gyro captain can see that Wes has gotten onto the truck. And we get a quick shot of him. He looks rather concerned. But Max is far too busy driving. I don't think Max realizes that Wes is on that truck at this point. No, I don't think so either. It's really a shame that the gyro captain didn't have either a radio to communicate with Max and let him know what's going on around him or a gun to shoot people, just pick people off. 
from the sky. The people on the ground, do they ever acknowledge that there is a gyrocopter hanging out right above them? In this instance, they're all too preoccupied with the Mack truck. No one really acknowledges the presence of the gyro captain. I mean, there is an instance that's happening next week where the gyro captain directly interacts with one of the raiders. Mm-hmm. But it's by dropping something. Okay. And then the guy reacts to what has been dropped on him. But no one ever points up and say, hey, look, gyro captain. I'm kind of surprised because if I was a marauder chasing down a rig and there was a gyrocopter hanging around, I would assume that the guy on that copter had a gun. I would assume that his job was to be a lookout yeah. and to pick people off. That would be my first assumption. So I would want to take him out. So I'm just a little surprised that nobody cared that there was another person involved in this that could have been very advantageous for Max, who wasn't really. <laughs> I am going to point out mm-hmm. that a lot of the time when we're going somewhere and there is something up high, <laughs> down low, off to the side... <laughs> That is interesting. And we are coming up on it and say, oh, hey, look at that interesting thing. And you'll go, where? And it'll take you a moment to actually like locate it. And I was just thinking that should make you a bit more sympathetic to the plight of the Raiders, who are very focused on the loud thing in front of them. And I feel like the gyrocopter would be maybe less noticeable because everyone is so focused on the immediate goal in front of them. Okay, I will give you that. Okay. (laughs) Because you're very, very correct. There is going to be an instance later in this movie when they leave the compound after this calamity where they do pay attention to the gyrocopter. So you are going to get them acting how you would like them to act. It's okay. just, it happens later. Okay. But I'm okay with that. In the meantime, Max is driving by yet another camp of raiders, and the last second or so is him just driving on down this road. And that's really where we wrap for today. Tomorrow, we are going to see Max continue his run towards the compound. He's not actually going to reach the compound by the end of this week. There's still chase going on. Yep. We still have to finish this action sequence, which we know from past experience, action sequences can go on for several minutes Mm -hmm. and therefore several days, a week, two weeks of our time. One thing that is definitely significant for tomorrow's minute is that the Lord Humongous gets involved. So Max has been inadvertently wrestling with the mini boss. He's going to go up against the big boss tomorrow. So we're going to have a special guests guest guests i'm not sure off the top of my head how many we're gonna have for tomorrow's minute actually because i just know we're gonna have a special guest Uh, okay maybe more than one i'm not sure we'll see though okay come back tomorrow and you'll you'll get that answered for you that little mystery the Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit madmaxminute.com click on the support link at the top of the page and check out our patreon to help us keep the tanks full thank you for joining us for minute 49 of the road warrior see you tomorrow